Hey, this is Doug Flynn, former New York Met and Gold Glove winner, and you're listening to the Mike Sefo Podcast. The glue. Cheers, my friends. You too, buddy. Good to meet you after... Finally. Finally. I mean, this social media dating is tough. It's like a, this is like a blind date. It's a year it since really we've, been, like uh, a blind we've been texting now for a year. I'm a little disappointed, but it really is like a blind date. See, you know? And you exceeded my expectations. <laughs> yeah. You look good. You're wearing the Doug Flynn uh, sweatshirt. Yeah, You're wearing the cowboy hat. You look good. The Mets see this and they go, the glue. What in the world? I say, well, I only had a two-year contract being the glue. <laughs> So when they traded me over here, my contract had expired. And you won two rings with the glue, so you're allowed to keep the glue. Yeah. You know how that came about, don't you? I actually don't. Really? No, I really don't. All right, we're going to do this thing. Uh, they did one of the statue presentations in uh, Cincinnati. So I emceed a banquet the night before. And they introduced uh, the starting eight. Never got them all together and since we won. So there we bring them all up on stage. And then I might have had a glass of wine. <laughs> and I said, there they are, ladies and gentlemen, the most overrated group of ball players in the history of the game. <laughs> about 500 people out there looking at me like where's he going with this and i said well let's do a little history in 1970 those guys over there got beat by baltimore in the world series in 1972 those guys over there got beat in the world series by oakland 73 the mets beat them in the playoff 74 they disappear i got here in 75 we won I was here in 76, we won. They traded me in 77, didn't win again. You do the math. And some guy Is that really back, how it came that, out? That's actually how. And the guy in the back hollers, the glue. So what I did is I always wanted to do something to help military. I mean, my mm-hmm. brother being a police officer and, and me not serving, I always wanted to find some way to give back. So what I do is I sell these shirts, and all the proceeds go to Hope for the Warriors, which is a military charity to take care of uh, Families in the military. Oh, really? Yeah, that's really cool. So you got a freebie today, my friend. I, anything? Free, if it's free, question. it's for me. Did yes. Cameron Mills ever give you anything? And this is the truth, Doug. And I know he's going to listen. He's never given me one thing for free. And you've known him for a long time. Uh, four years now. Four years and nothing. Nothing. And you want to know? I'll tell you something. I'll tell How you. How much did he charge you for that picture you got on the wall of him? Oh, he oh pay shipping and handling. He X's. That's what he X's me. But yeah, listen, do, surprise do you want to hear what bothers me? So Cameron comes up, and we have a good time. He goes down there. And uh, I get him all stuff. I know he's a Seinfeld fan, so I go to Seinfeld Diner. I get him all Seinfeld memorabilia. I get him a plaque made up, like an NYPD police plaque. Like a great friend, a great person, a man of God. Like I really go all out. And I said, you know what? I'm not a memorabilia guy. I said, but you know what? I tell my friends, it would be nice if I had like a, a, Kentucky, a real Kentucky jersey. Yeah. So I said, Cam, I'm coming down there. Can you lay out all your jerseys? I want to look at them. I put them on. I'm like, this is amazing. Thinking he's going to say, bro. Take one. Take Short one. sneakers. Because we know at UK they get eight or ten a yeah. year, right? He has a box of them. He's like, yeah, they're really cool, right? Click, click, click. All back in the box. And to this day, he actually got me into a private Kentucky practice with Coach Cal, which was, listen, it was tremendous. Mm-hmm. I find out he didn't really make, he made one initial call, but he still rolled on that. He's like, Mike, Mike, I got you the best gift of all, a Kentucky practice. I found that he really didn't even do it. He was just there. Uh, you know, that's that's a little disappointing. I've known Cameron since he's a little kid because mm-hmm. his dad and I go way back to college days. And uh, that's a little disappointing. But, you know, those of us that are getting annoying, really not too surprised. No, no, no one's surprised. And listen, we're at Dempsey's here, and the bartender heard freeloading. And, Doug, what'd she say? First thing she said, you talking about Cameron? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I want to talk about the Reds and the Kentucky ties. But we're in New York. We're going to get back to the whole story, but you you win two titles with the Reds. You get traded to the Mets. Yep, What's buddy. your welcome to New York moment? You're a Kentucky guy, Kentucky, Cincinnati. Now it's your welcome to New York moment. Oh, it was special, man. You know, come in and in Cincinnati, we had to wear our hair very short. We had those ankle choker uh, stirrups that we wore with our uniform. Yeah. <laughs> so I get to New York. I get to pull my socks up. I can start letting my hair grow a little bit longer. Uh you know, the uniform, you can actually kind of class it up. It was the 70s, and in the 70s, we did a lot of things that really looked ugly, but we thought we were cool. So we 
get the uniform ready, walk out of the dugout in Shea Stadium, a, a ballpark that I had played a lot in because with the Reds, when we would come up here, I'd usually get to bat off of Tom Seaver or Matt Lacker, Kuzma, one of those guys. So I was used to playing in the field, but I wasn't used to being in that dugout. So I walk out on the field, very comfortable, very confident, very proud, wearing a Mets uniform, the great history of the New York Mets, and I hear Mr. Flynn. Uh, Mr. Flynn, wow, because I didn't think, that's nice. All of a sudden I'm getting greeted by someone, and it's Mr. Flynn. So I turned around as a kid, probably in his 20s or so, and I went, hey, how you doing, partner? And he said, you suck. <laughs> Thank you very much. I didn't know he knew me that well, but evidently he did. <laughs> and now you realize, shit, I'm in New York City. I'm in New York. That's right. You know what I found out there? Everybody asked me, how did you play it there? It's the greatest place in the world to play mm-hmm. if you're an athlete or probably for anything. But if you'll keep your mouth shut, play hard. You don't have to play great. The people will respect you and they'll pull for you. But if you start making excuses and alibiing and getting in a lot of trouble and stuff, uh, they'll bury you. You know that. It's true. You'll get a player who can be great and who's kind of cocky, who doesn't do it really well, and they hate him. You yep. can get a player who's not that good, but every play he's running 50 miles. He's going all Just out. hard. And they love you. They and they love you forever, too. They, they, don't, do. they don't forget the players. They really don't. No, and you know, I do the Mets fantasy camp now, so every year I go do a week down in Florida at Port mm-hmm. St. Lucie with, and i got so many friends up here. Uh, we've really enjoyed coming back up because we were friends with first responders that are firemen that were uh, Ladder 1, Engine 7, which is right down near Ground Zero. And uh, really didn't know that many guys that were cops, too, although my brother's a police officer. I figured, you know, that's enough. If you know one, you know them all. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it's really cool to come back up here, and we're having a blast. And then you and I have been corresponding for the last several months, and then a chance to come up and be at Dempsey's, which is a really cool place. So if, if you're out there listening, folks, you got to come down here. This bar is outstanding. you got to come here for a Kentucky game. You really oh, do. Yeah, it's no, it's worth coming that. up on a, in March or the end of February. It's just yeah. an, a great environment because it's cold out. You come up here nice and toasty. You watch the game. It's great. Are there many Kentucky people who live here, or is it just that many Kentucky fans? No, it's it's. I'm going to say just say 100 people come. Eighty of them went to University of Kentucky. Wow! Yeah, it's it's a, it's a Kentucky alumni place. Yeah, there's like a hierarchy here too. There's a president, a secretary, a treasurer, all. But and the requirements are: I think you have to you have to graduate from University of Kentucky. You have to. Yeah, I it's a whole. That. That's why I couldn't come back. <laughs> well, that's why you're not president. <laughs> oh, okay. Wait, the, so I could still come if I got. Oh, you can. Yeah, come on. Okay, listen, okay. they roll out the red carpet for you. Uh, yeah. When you were up here, where'd you live in New York? Well, I have two weeks here in the city. Um, and then down the village for two weeks till I found a place to live. Then I moved out to Queens, and I lived there till I had two cars stolen. Uh, <laughs> so when people say I didn't give enough up here, I gave you two dad gun cars. I gave you a Corvette and a Bronco, so I don't want to hear that. Crap. Did it really get stolen? Oh yeah, <clears throat> one out of my parking garage. But then I found out that Bayside Queens is like the stolen car capital, capital of the, the world, world. It is. Julia. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that's I had. Uh, so you lived down the village for two weeks. Was that wild? I think. <laughs> <laughs> when you when you when you were up here, did you have like a favorite hangout, like a Doug? Fl- where'd you go? Where was no, your wait, no watering hole that you went to no, all the time? No, no watering hole because I didn't want to drive because I got scared that I couldn't keep a car. I mean, as soon as I got here, my car was gone in two months. So then I get another car and it's gone. I'm paying seventy five dollars a month to park at the apartment I live at, and. I come down one day, and I look, and I said, uh-oh, I can tell my window's been broken. So I ease over, and I look inside. The window was broken. They got in. And back in those days, you didn't have the stereos in the dash. You just had to hook it up underneath. And so they got in there and, and ripped it off. So I drive it to the ballpark, and I'm really hot. And I got to, who knows where I can get my window fixed and blah, blah, blah. And fortunately, playing big league ball, they'll find somebody pretty quick to come over and fix your window for you. 
So I thought, so I go back that night and I go to the security guard and I said, man, I said, somebody busted my stuff out in the garage. And he went, so what do you want me to do about it? <laughs> went, All right, that ain't going to happen. So I end up going upstairs the next morning. I come down. The whole car is gone. Gone. Don't worry about the glass Don't worry about the glass. They figured, well, this was easy. So they took the whole car. So I go up to, I look over. <laughs> this is true. And there's four guys or what, three guys sitting in a car. And they're, they're kind of sitting down hiding. So I can only see the top of their head. So I go to the security guard. I said, don't let those guys leave. I go upstairs and get a bat. I get my bat. I start walking over this car like a crazy guy. Get out of the car. I'm screaming at these guys. Well, they get out, and they don't speak a bit of English, and they're scrambling. It's three of the workers that are sitting there having lunch break. Oh, come on. <laughs> and I'm sitting there hollering at them, and, and finally I just said, you don't understand me. I don't understand you. So, so it, But I never got my car. They found them. They, found my, they didn't find the Corvette I had. I just got the Corvette when I was in Cincinnati. Now, this is how smart we were back then. I'm making $16,000 a year. Mm-hmm. That's my salary, playing big league baseball. So I gave eight. Then we win the World Series, and I get $14,000. So I take 7000 give it to my mom and dad. I take 7000 buy a Corvette. Brilliant. Right. Smart move. That's a good investment move. Yeah, yeah, I had no money to pay for insurance, gas, <laughs> apartment, none of that stuff. But, but the car I looked have, good. But I looked good. You looked really good. Yeah, in I was styling, man. How, how hardcore was the New York media? Was it bad to you? They're bad to everybody. Mm-hmm. They're uh, tough, right? They're, they're consistent. Yeah, they're they're consistent. But you find a few that you can trust and that you really respect, and if you you'll know whether to give them yes or no answers. Mm-hmm. And, and then the other guys, you can elaborate. I mean, they. But I think for the most part, they were very fair. You just had a couple of guys that they hate everyone. Yeah, they hate themselves. They do. They're unhappy in life. Unhappy really. in life, and so they got to rip you for whatever. I remember after I went a gold glove in eighty uh, eighty, we go to spring training in eighty one, and uh, first game in spring training playing the Phillies. So a guy hits a real hard ball at me, hits about three or four feet in front of me, takes a hop, comes up, hits me in the shoulder and in the jaw. Okay. They give me an error. I don't care. It's the first game of spring training. Mm-hmm. A couple innings later, ball hitting a gap. I go out, I catch it. Guy's going to third. I make the throw as he's running. My ball hits off his hand and just sort of kicks off. So the guy who hit it goes on to second base. Error number two. Okay. So now I win a gold glove that year, first spring training game. I got two errors. Doesn't cost us any runs or nothing. But the headlines in the New York paper, golden boy, not so golden. Really? I'm thinking, wow. So I go to the writer and I went, you know, that didn't have anything to do with it. I said, why would you write something like that about me? I've never done anything to you. He said, oh, we don't do the headlines. We just write the story. And I went, that's a great cop out right there. Well, that's like when Tory. Tory wins in 96 with the Yankees, 98, 99, 2000. 2001, they lose Game 7. Luis Gonzalez gets a base hit. Yeah. And in 2002, I remember the spring training, like, Joe, how can you come back from after last year? You guys got to do better. <laughs> he was one out away from the from World Series. Yeah. And they were like, you know, I know you have to improve on last year. And it's just. How great was he, though? Oh, I lo- we loved, he was loved here. He was, loved here. He, he was, till the end. Now, remember, the sad thing is, after a while, it's like, all right, we need change. But he was loved in 96. Yeah. He knew how to manage these guys. Oh, local guy. That's what they. Yeah. That's all that matters. See, local guy. The local guys, I mean, you could tell the difference. I, I mean, Joe was our player manager when I first got here in 77. And then he ended up just being the manager after that. And then they were dismantling our ball club so bad. They were taking all the guys away. I mean, they already got rid of Tom Seaver because that's when we came over. Then they got rid of Matt Lack, who went to Minnesota and won 20 games. <laughs> Uh, I mean, not Matt Lack, but Jerry Kuzman. Okay. And then Matt Lack was, uh, could still throw. But uh, they had, we had Mike Scott, 
Well, this is before Mike Scott became Mike Scott. The Mike Scott yeah. from the 86. With Jeff Reardon, who, before he became Jeff Reardon. When he went to the Twins, didn't he yeah. dominate with the Twins? Yeah. And he ended up breaking all kinds of save records, and mm-hmm. Scott learned how to throw that little cutter. <laughs> the, the scuffer, they the, said, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> nah. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, so we had some talent there, but we had a lot of young kids that were getting a chance to play, and we weren't very good. We had uh, Lee Mazzilli, mm-hmm. nice player, local from Brooklyn, was there in center field, and uh, – then we went and got John Stearns and I were both young. Uh, me had Kingman was there for a little while, and then shortstops like a revolving thing. They had Frank Tavares for a little bit, and Tim Foley for a little bit, and then Lenny Randall was at third. And so they were really getting rid of all the team from '73 and starting to give us a chance to play. And there were some guys, and they weren't going to spend any money. Mm-hmm. That was obvious. Although you know you, the money thing is so ridiculous now. I, don't know, it's, I made sixteen five my first year, nineteen my second year, because that's where the minimum went to. But you played for the Reds, won a championship. You didn't make millions and millions. <clears throat> no, that's the perception. You know, everyone thinks that. I know. Back then, you didn't. Uh, and then on my third year, I went in, and I'm thinking, all right, we got back to back World Series. I got an extra fourteen thirty thousand dollars in World Series share for two years, and they thought that was the bonus. So I went in and said, all right, I said I want twenty five thousand. Oh, okay. $23,000. No, 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 no. Mr. Wagner, I said, I want $25,000. $23,000. You want to go home? So I said, oh, $23,000. Sounds good. $23,000. You, you agree on so $23,000? third year in the big leagues at $23,000. And when you talk to the players today, they went, you all played 162 games for that kind of money? I went, what would you have done? Mm-hmm. You didn't have agents, and it was usually just year-to-year contracts. wasn't a lot of multi-year deals. So the game has really changed. I think the minimum this year is 509 going to 580 and someone had the nerve to say, would you like to still be playing, you think? And you, wow. You, you know the one thing, because baseball, college basketball and baseball, my two, like I wake up in the morning, that's all I care about. And, of course, Julia. Mm-hmm. I, I feel that a lot of players now he put that don't there. realize. Like, you don't what, mind being third, do you? <laughs> oh, she knows. She, she's accepted. Oh, yeah, okay. No, she's accepted. <laughs> it. Like, they don't realize what, what, like, Kurt Flood and these guys did. Oh, for the, wow. like, you know, and it sucks. A lot of times you'll bring up the name, like, oh, okay. But, like. They don't he, know who he is. No, they don't know what he did. He, he lost his career. Yeah, the the reason they live in the penthouse on 50th is because of Kurt Flood. That's, exactly. Yeah, and he he's the very guy. I saw him years later in an old timers game, and he came by, and I mean, it was all of us who were veterans that appreciate the game went up to him and just thanked him, mm-hmm. and it was so special to meet him because I'd never met him. I knew you know met Lou Brock, but played against Lou just a little bit, but I didn't know Kurt Flood at all, and he was a talented player but when you these players today i mean they have no history and what i agree i don't care how much money you make i think it's good because i went on three strikes so you could make a good salary just have some respect for the game and for the guys that came before you when people say what would you be making now as an everyday second baseman a gold glove winner i went i don't know what would clemeni be making or Mays or mantle it's all relevant that, that's so, a great answer because imagine what they would make yeah. in, in these days with so the numbers i don't judge but the thing that that aggravates me is when I walk into a Reds clubhouse and you say hello to a couple of guys and they won't speak to you. Or you come up here, which the Mets don't bring me back up here anymore. Uh-huh. But it, when I'd come up here and they say, well, you're not allowed in the clubhouse. Oof. What? <clears throat> what? And and you, you want to bow up and say, all right, I'm not quite sure, but you don't have a whole lot of second basemen that won gold gloves. Yeah. Why do you not want to allow me to come in there just to say hello to the guys? But it's a new group of people that have taken over. Here's why I think it's really screwed up all pro sports is when we allowed – when the players quit policing the game. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because you look back 
when I played, I don't care if, what team I was on. <clears throat> I hit a ball one year against the Pirates on AstroTurf, a little bloop, and it bounced real high. So I started to go to second, and I didn't go. I eased back towards first base, and then Willie Stargell was playing. He started backing up, and he just ran right over top of me. And I looked up at him, and I went, did you not see me? He said, oh, my fault, man. I thought you would have been on second. <laughs> Good lesson. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I didn't. I should have been. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't on my team. He was protecting the game. And now you see an argument, and the first thing they do is look in the dugout, and then they'll go up to the front office, then they go to the league, and then you got a video, and you got all that crap going on. I don't like that. I don't like the way they change the game around, like the play at second base, the Utley play. Now everybody can turn a double play because you don't have to worry about getting hit. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody can stand in there at the plate now because you're not allowed to throw inside. I mean, it's a different game. Like the integrity of the game is gone. Like the, <clears throat> the, the rules amongst the players are gone. The, that's right. The play at the plate, the Buster Posey rule. Now, Buster had himself in a bad position. Great catcher, great talent. On that particular play, not in a good position. Mm-hmm. He gets hurt. Now you change the whole rules about that. And how many times in the course of a game are we going to the video to check and see what's going on? I mean, somebody said, well, what would you do? Don't you want the play right? Yeah, get better umpires. You're right. I mean, right. You, you, that'd be very simple. I would think if you got guys that are up there that have been there for 30, 40 years, hey, thank you for your service. Now get some good guys that can come up and know the difference between a ball and a strike. What do you think of the state of the game right now with the younger players? Are you, you enjoy the game now? Because you watch it completely no, different. You don't. I don't. I enjoy some of it. I enjoy watching Houston. Houston this year showed me how the game could be played with enthusiasm, having fun teamwork, pulling for each other. I like that. The game's become too individualized because of statisticians galore. We've come up with the same war. All this. What? No. Are you kidding me? So everything now is a stat. You know, it's not a win and lose. It's, it's you know, what did you eat the day you had two eggs over medium and sausage <laughs> links? Not patties, but links. And, and they got a stat for everything. And so guys are really conscious of it because people keep throwing it back up into their face instead of just letting them go out and play the game and have fun with it. That's one of the great things about when we played in the 70s. We weren't very good, but every night when we went to eat, there'd be three or four of us going out to dinner. Now you look at them, there are three or four of them. Attorney, Mm -hmm. nutritionist, uh, physical therapist, a psychologist, psychiatrist, you know. The camaraderie of uh, the game is completely gone. It's not like it used to be in a lot of teams. And the team that can put that back together and have fun like Houston the team did that wins. is a team that's going to win. And that's really what it comes down to. It's, you know, The bottom I'm, line I'm is, a huge Yankee fan, and the Yankees, when they went through, I hate to say drought, but when they win a championship for eight years, it was 22 individual players and maybe five team players, and that's the reason why. And you saw it on the field because the 96 team, a guy gets a base hit, Jeter leads the whole crew, they're yeah. all giving high fives. Todd Frazier. Yeah, exactly. I love Todd. I mean, what Red's got to, got, yeah, Tom's River Kid. Tom's yep. River Kid, got to know him when he was in Cincinnati and uh, love him, stay in touch with him. Matter of fact, on the games, uh, after every game, I would text him and he'd text me back during the playoffs. So I love Todd. I just. Uh, he's loved here too. You know, They love oh, him. The way be. he plays, I, they. He hadn't resigned love. back, has he? No. Well, he's a free agent right now. They want oh, he him. He is a free agent. The Yankees okay. want him for like a one year deal because. Up, the Yankees yeah. want Manny Machado. Of course. Of course. Who but doesn't? They, they love Todd Frazier. He, I'm telling yeah. you, he can bat 220. No one cares about his stats. That's right. Because you want to know, and that's a perfect example. No one said, oh, what's Frazier batting? 223. Yeah. Because when a base hit in the gap, he's taking First two. One, he's, right. he's always dirty. The they, the love right they love him. They love him. And that's not fake. When you see that stuff, that is genuine. We went on a cruise with him. They got a thing called Quest on this cruise, and you pick these team leaders. And they do all these goofy stuff. He has no inhibitions, and he is nuts. And I love him. <laughs> he and Jackie and the whole family are just 
Great, great people. So I hope he stays back. And you know what's here. great? Though? I have and like, I can't believe I was actually pulling for the Mets because of him. No, listen, I mean, for the, the Yankees. Yankees. Like, I have notes. We're completely. This is so much better than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> but I'll tell you what's funny about Todd Frazier. After the game, they would do the interview on fun, and he would be up there laughing, having fun. You know, the other guys are in there, and they give, like, I'm a Jeter guy. He gives such Jeter answers. Uh, it was a team. But Frazier's like, no, it was great. We, he's he's honest. He, he, he loves the game. He, he's still, it's still like the Tom's River kid. Yeah. And uh, I was like 99 when they won the World Series. Oh, yeah. You still see the joy of that kid. I love him. Uh, well, you know, I've never met Jeter, but I remember asking Tori one day. We were at some function, and I said, tell me about Derek Jeter. I said, is he as good as it seems? And he went, nah, <laughs> it's better. Yeah. <laughs> and I went, wow. Cause, and, and, you know, guys like him, uh, Kirby Puckett, you know, God rest him, he's – Kirby Puckett played the game the right way. When you see people that are out there, and they're especially the superstars, the Mike Trouts, mm-hmm. the guys that are great players, but they're still playing the game and having fun, there's 1% of those guys that have so much ability. The rest of us are schmucks. we got 99% of us. <laughs> we're just trying to survive. You know, we just we were very blessed to get an opportunity to play and to stay for any length of time. You know, we're very fortunate. Uh, but when you see that 1% that should be the leaders in the game, and that's what I'm starting to look for, the guys like the Altuve's, and the judge is a little young right now, but Todd Frazier's getting some years. These guys got to take our game back from mm. the clowns that are sitting in there on the computers. I'm not a sabermetric oh, guy. Me. Oh, it kills and, me. And that's where it's going to with most of the ball clubs. Okay. I'm going to tell you one last, and I want to get back to the. I hate that. I love that we got off track. Have, have you gone to your notes at all yet? Uh, yes, it said Hello, the glue. <laughs> the glue. Um, I'm uh, sorry. No, this is exactly what I'd rather do it. It's just two guys at a bar drinking beer talking. But you know what I loved when Jeter. You have to preface that. I am not drinking a beer. Bloody Mary. Thank you. Because it's early in the morning. We're, we're taping this at 12 Four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Everybody's left the bar. We're still hanging in there. When, when G- Jeter was, when they won 2009, um, the Yankees were in the playoffs. And I remember the newspapers would write a story, Yankees can't win because no shortstop over the age of 35 with a range of .73. And I remember reading them like, yeah, Jeter's going to get a base hit, though, with two outs in the bottom of the ninth. And, the and he'll sab- make the play that's yeah, hit to him, too. That sabermetrics, oh, I, I hate it. You it, know, the sabermetrics, it doesn't measure your heart. It doesn't measure your head. But and guys ma- that, are, that are locked into it. And remember, Doug, when it's you're, you're a game in May 18th in San Diego, it's no big deal. When you're in New York, October yeah. 7th, the fans are screaming at you. It's mm-hmm. like, I don't care if you bat 330. You're, let's Clayton Kershaw. I'm the biggest Kershaw guy in the world. When it comes down to it, he gets a little jittery on the mound. And, I'm, hey, and I love May, him. the play people here. But that was so good. If you can play here, man, he just – and they keep you honest. And mm-hmm. they're knowledgeable of the game. And you, you can't – as an athlete, you've got to love that. And it's like, I don't know, Tito Fuente said one time, he said, you know, you play ball in New York. He said, you go for four, you, everybody in the world know it. You go four for four, everybody in the world know it. So it's the same. You know, it's, it's, Pedro I, I Mar- loved it. Pedro Martinez was on WFAN <laughs> here with Mike Francesa, and he said he was in Boston and the media's on them. He said the difference with New York is that they'll call up and be like, can you believe it was a 2-1 count and so-and-so <laughs> bunted? And they said they went 20 minutes on if they should have bunted at the – they went pitch by pitch, and no other, <laughs> no other city in, in the world does that. They, it was two and one. Why? I want to know right now why Lenny Dykstra is bunting yeah. two and one. And that's what they break down pitch by pitch. I know. Well, walk down the streets. There's no other town in America. You walk down the streets, and you're going to see that memorabilia worn on people's heads or jackets or whatever. I mean, it's, don't see a lot of Mets stuff. see a lot of Yankee stuff. Yeah, you don't, don't see too much in, in fairness, though, it's split. A few years ago, when it was when the Mets really the Mets when they went to the World Series, yeah. with the Royals there was a lot of Mets stuff, a lot of new Mets stuff. You can tell it was new stuff. I'm a diehard fan, so that's a Harvey jersey and the tag still on it. Don't <laughs> tell me that. <laughs> 
That was a, yeah. It looked like they were going to go to the World Series for years in a row back mm-hmm. then, and then you never know. That's and that's another thing that's the beauty of the game. You, you just don't know to tee it up. All right, I, now we're gonna we did the New York thing, and because I went on Wikipedia, and because I, I try not to read. Two, oh, and they never make a mistake. I was gonna say the internet never lies, Doug. I know, and I, like when it had me for years, born in Albany, New York. Yeah. Oh wait, hold on, cross that. I was gonna say <laughs> growing up in Albany, but. Uh, <laughs> Well, you should know that when you hear me talk. Yeah, and, and the cowboy hat. And the cowboy hat. But it is four in the oh, morning. Oh, you about getting some looks. We are thinking about opening a Western store up here. Oh, you would kill it. Because I don't it. know if people are looking at us like, look at those two clowns, or, eh, they ain't a bad look. So. But you know what's funny? If you walk down to the village where you used to live, sir, where'd you buy that? They'll buy it off you because they would think it's a new hip style. It's like, ah. we saw two dudes. That's a new style we're getting in. Well, we had a, a, one of your cops stopped us the other day, and he says, y'all ain't real cowboys because you don't have your boots on. We said. <laughs> Yeah, it's because we got blisters on our feet from walking <laughs> yesterday in our boots. That's why. <laughs> so now I, I try never to do too much research because I don't want to be like a generic interview. I'll correct you when you give me something to Go say, ahead. right? Is this true? That you no. <laughs> it's all bull crap. You played. Did you walk on Kentucky basketball? Cause I'm, cause I, Here's the deal. I, okay. They had signed a guy to play basketball in Kentucky that was, uh, his name was Rick Derrickson, great baseball player. From the time he committed to the University of Kentucky, he ended up being drafted by the Cleveland Indians. So he signed a contract with the Indians. So it came time for school to start in the fall. I had no scholarship offers out of high school. And I get a call from Coach Joe Hall. Oh, Doug, this is Joe B. Hall. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, we'd like for you to play basketball at the University of Kentucky. And I went, all right. All of my friends imitated Coach Hall and Coach Rupp. Okay, okay. I mean, everybody did. So I said, I'll play along. Well, Coach, you know, I just got off the phone with Coach Wooden, and um, I'm really – I'm narrowed it down to you guys and, and uh, UCLA. And I hung up the phone. So the phone rings a little bit later, and I hear my dad say, Hey, Joe. No. He did what? He hung up on you. Uh, no, I don't know why. He's, he seems all right. He didn't say. And he said, No, we'll be home. So my dad comes in and said, what would you hang up on Coach Hall for? I said, I didn't know that was Coach Hall. He said, well, he and Dickie Parsons, who was a baseball coach, were coming over. So he came over, and because they'd signed four guys to play basketball, uh, scholarship guys, their fifth guy was supposed to be their point guard signed to go to Cleveland. So it was late in the year, all the players they wanted. I was a local kid that needed somebody to be a point guard. They offered me a basketball scholarship. If it didn't work out, I'd get a baseball scholarship. As it turned out, I started every game on the basketball team. Uh, and then under Coach Hall, <clears throat> under Coach Hall, a freshman couldn't play varsity back then. But the varsity team had Dan Issel, Mike Pratt, they ranked number one in the country. So we scrimmaged them every day. So I go to the baseball team, I only got nine at bats. And when I went to the coach and asked him why, he said, I just don't think you're big enough or strong enough or, or quick enough to play div- Division One ball. And he was probably right because I was 5'8 and 145 pounds. So I went to a junior college the next year, and I grow two or three inches and gain a little bit of weight and started maturing a little bit. And then, so you left Kentucky? Yeah. Then they had, and then I went to a tryout camp is how I signed. Cause, I, so what you left, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, because mm-hmm. you, so you left Kentucky basketball playing in the coach hall mm-hmm. to go to junior college. But you love baseball that much? or no, you thought more? I, they, they helped get rid of me. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> There's a way that if they don't want you, they can, they can usher you out of the system. And uh, I got ushered out of the system. Okay. Uh, is it true that you actually really went to a Reg tryout? Because yeah. I, I oh yeah, really. So you Four go to you go to Reg tryout and you make the team. Well, I that... had some friends woke me up. I had the only car. Going I, th- to I thought this college. was a bullcrap story, but no, I read it. Okay. Hey, Brad will test to that. Of course, by lie, he's his job is to be here and cover it up anyway. So, but I had a I had a '61 <clears throat> Corvair in 1970. Was it stolen? <clears throat> Nobody <laughs> stole it. I stole it. I paid two hundred dollars from my uncle Chigger. 
And uh, I drove down to the, so I had the car. And if you've never seen a 61 Corvair, the engine is in the back. So when people say, what's under your hood? You'd say, a spare tire. And so I would drive. So my friends woke me up to go to Richmond, Kentucky, because where I went to school was dry. So we wanted to go to a wet place and hear some little group called the Exiles play. And for those of you who don't know who that is, they are now exiled. They had a song called, I want to kiss you all over. You don't know that one? I don't listen to music. <laughs> I I, y- yes. Oh, yeah. I don't oh, listen. Cameron might have been right about you. Yeah, I don't, I don't listen know. to music ever. Like, ever. You never heard Kiss You All Over? No. Did you ever see? Um, oh, it's been used in a couple of movies. You're going to get mad? I don't watch movies. I've only seen maybe 10 movies my whole life. I only watch sports and documentaries and read books. Yeah, I don't watch movies. You want them educated fellas, huh? Yeah, no, 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 no. But I don't watch, like, I just watched The Godfather for the first time. And right, we're going to pull up Kiss You All Over for you before I leave here. I'll pull it up. Right, okay. So Exile is Dude, playing pull. in town. And uh, we, so the, my boys drink a little bit. It's just it? called Exile. Exile, Kiss yep. You All Over. And uh, they, they'd had a few. So we're coming back home. Now they've all got, we got five cases of beer and five things of whiskey because you can get if you have a case and a fifth you can't get caught for uh bootlegging is that correct brad i don't know <laughs> okay right. so well let's assume that <laughs> for for the story's purposes so we so get you went, pulled over you went from personal consumption that's the you yeah, that's pers- okay okay <laughs> so uh we're driving back and uh we get pulled over and the cops gets he says sit by the car and stuff out he said you've been drinking i said no sir he said are those guys drinking? I went, oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> Bet you. <laughs> and he started laughing. He said, I said, I'm the designated driver. I said, it's my car. He said, uh, how come the front end of your car is sitting down a little bit low? And I went, well, we got some alcohol in there. And he said, do you mind if I see it? And I went, no, sir. So I opened up the trunk. And he saw it. And he said, five, five of us, five cases of beer, five fizz of whiskey. And uh, he said, all right. He says, you seem like you're right. And I said, well, we're all going to college, blah, 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 blah. So we get back home the next morning. It's on a Friday night. Saturday night, there's a knock at my door. It's the same guys. Come on, Doug. We're going to try out for the Reds. All right. That's just what you did back then. You want to do it? Let's do it. Okay. We get to the ballpark. Anybody got a glove? Anybody got a pair of spikes? One of the guys did. They said, Doug, you go first. They never had any intention of going. I had started to grow and mature. I was playing some softball. They'd see me play some softball and thought, well, if anybody can do it, he might have a shot. So that was the first one. The scout came to me. I pair of shorts, cut off. Shorts, tank top, a headband on. Scout said, you're not real serious about this, are you? And I went, no, sir, those guys bet me I wouldn't do it. He said, I'd like to see you again in Frankfurt, Kentucky. I go back to Frankfurt. Then I go back to Riverfront Stadium. Then they come back to Lexington, and I signed for $2,500 and got an opportunity to play pro ball. So just out of nowhere. That, out of nowhere. That's incredible. It is. It really is. It's a pretty good story. Now, when you go into the clubhouse, because I want to hear more behind the scenes, you walk in, you're 23, 22? When I make the club, yes. big club, 24. 24, you walk in. Oh, no, it's 23. I hadn't turned 24 yet. 23, it's Pete Rose, Joe Morgan, Ken Griffey. Senior. Yeah, how do you? Johnny Bench. And I told Julia, walking over, I'm like, he played with Ken Griffey. Junior? I'm like, no, no, Julia. Ken Griffey <laughs> Jr. played 50 years. So you walk in with all these guys. Are you just starstruck? Like, holy shit. Well, when like, I, when I first go to the minor league camp, I, I didn't know there wasn't all those guys. They were already a step ahead of me. So I, I see uh, – it, it, when I went down there and made the big league club, the Nats when it really got a little bit of uh, – because I got invited to the big league camp, and that's when I saw all those guys. I played My first year, I had a lousy year. Uh, the first, your first year in the major first year in the major league in '72, I'm at uh, I'm at rookie league ball, and while I'm at rookie league yeah, ball, only yes, you're and, and they say, Doug, can you play third base? And I went, Yeah. 
So I go up to – I go from rookie league ball up to class A, and they put me at third base. Well, I never played third in my life. So I'm out there, and my manager's Russ Nixon. He goes, Doug, back up. No, move in. No, come over here. No, what are you doing, Doug? The inning's over with, and he calls me. He says, you never played a game of third in your life, have you? I went, nope. He said, well, would you tell him you could play third for? I said, because I was moving from rookie ball to class A. If you'd have said, can you catch? I'd have said, yeah, I could catch. So he liked me. So that year I struggled in 1972. We go to spring training in 73. There's no way I'm going to be moved up because I didn't play that good where I was. And about two weeks before we broke camp, they moved me to double A ball, which was a step up. Okay. And I got to there, and then I was able to make an all-star team and get an MVP on the team. And then next year I went to triple A and got MVP on the team and made the all-star team. And uh, so now you're thinking, all right, I'm in triple A ball. I'm getting close. So I go to spring training. My first year I get, I don't know, two bats or three bats. They send me back down in 74. So the season's over in 74. They call 11 guys to the big leagues. I'm not one of them. 75, I go to spring training, and I know that I'm going to get to play a lot because Concepcion and Morgan were never in shape when they came there. They played themselves into shape. Concepcion was always late. He'd have a visa problem if he was in Miami. <laughs> <clears throat> so he's going to be late. So I knew if I – so I worked out pretty good that winter. Didn't do weights, but just got myself, you know, in good shape and uh, went to spring training, set a record for hits in 1975 for spring training. I went 32 for 90. They kept me. They were going to keep me for until we went to Montreal one day, and Pete Rose came up to me and said, Doug, they're sending you down. I said, what did I do wrong? He said, nothing. He just thinks you need to go get some more playing time. So I get up to bat, and uh, Gary Carter was catching. And uh, Gary and I had come up and been through the minors <coughs> together. And, and I said, Gary, if I don't get a couple of hits today, I think they're going to send me out. And he went, what for? I said, they just want me to go play some more. I'm not playing a lot. And he looked, we both kind of laughed. Where am I going to play? Morgan and Concepcion and play it. I'm not going to play much. And so he said, well, we need to get you a couple of hits. He said, all right, breaking ball in. I went, all right. Sure enough, breaking ball in for ball. I, I look back at him and go, since when do you start telling me pitches? He said, since we got to keep our guys in the big leagues. That's when. <clears throat> Nobody wow. on base, two outs, fastball away. He said, fastball away. Okay, boom, I hit a double. And, uh, and I tell people that story not because that's what happens all the time. It's not. That's just how tight the game was back in those days. If you came up with somebody through the minor leagues and they made it to the big leagues, you wanted to see them stay if you had a good relationship with them. And uh, so then I get up the next time and I said, uh, hey, Gary, you know, two hits would look pretty nervous. <laughs> and he says, well, you're on your own. <laughs> and so I said, I bet he tries to throw me a breaking ball in again. He did. I hit another double. Not a word was ever said to me or anything. I just stayed. And you stayed from there. Stayed for, yeah. That's, like, that's incredible. Mm-hmm. I know. And- See, I'm going to tell you one. I'm going to try to bring it back to this. Uh, you're a basketball guy. You know Felipe Lopez? Remember Felipe Lopez? Oh, yeah. yeah. So Felipe Lopez comes on here a lot, okay? He lives a few blocks away. and St. John's? Yes, yes, yeah. St. John's. Cover Sports Illustrated. Big East is back. He's yeah. supposed to change basketball. He had a good career, but he never lived up to the Cover of Sports Illustrated jumping over the Statue of Liberty, which they overhyped him. He always tells a great story that Isaiah Ryder, I don't mm-hmm. know if you remember, J.R. Ryder played mm-hmm. at UNLV. Sure. They're playing one time, and, and J.R. Ryder's like, dude, I'm, I'm like a big fan. And Felipe Lopez is like, all right, well, bro, you better let me score some points on you because they're, they, you know, they're, they're pissed at me. It's a joke. He said, uh, in like the second quarter, Lopez has like four points. So J.R. Ryder tells him, listen, go left like the next few times. So uh, Felipe Lopez goes left, drops like eight, 12, 14 points. And he's like, what are you doing, bro? He's like, listen, I'm not known for my defense. I'm known for my offense. They don't give a crap if I'm giving you <laughs> score. I let you look good over there. <laughs> Taking care of it. <laughs> You're dropping names like Gary Carter, which you eventually played with, and Joe Morgan, Pete Rose. 
did you ever appreciate the ride at it as it was happening? Because you had a hell of a ride. Like while yeah. it was going on, did you ever say, "Holy crap! Look at the ride I'm no, on"? Not as not near as much as I do now. Mm-hmm. And, I think and do you, all, do you now? Because oh, absolutely. You, okay, okay. Absolutely. I've milked this sucker more than anybody. Okay. I mean, there are not a lot of guys that have hit two thirty eight that have a radio show, a TV show, and stuff. I have milked the living tire out of this. Uh, so it it yeah, I, but I don't think we did then. And now that when we all get together, I mean. I was here's a good instance. I was the baby on this team, mm-hmm. and the baby is drawing Social Security, or can draw Social Security. Does that tell you something? So it just uh, I, I have, and when I see Joe and Joe or Pete seventy six now, Johnny will be seventy this week. Um, it, it no, I didn't appreciate it because we th- I thought it was going to go on forever. Mm-hmm. I mean, we after we won in 75, there was so much pressure on those guys in 75 because they'd come close. They were the big red machine, but they never won it. They were like Mickelson before he won the Masters, the best to never win it. You know, 70, they get beat, 72, 73, uh, 75. Now we're going, and there was a lot of pressure, like the seventh game against Boston. But I remember Pete Rose saying, feel bad. He says, yeah, Carbo hit a, he hit a good pitch. He hit a home run. He said, so, he said guys, every kid that ever put on a Little League uniform – Dreams of playing in the seventh game of the World Series. We're doing that tomorrow night. We got our best pitcher on the mound. I can't wait. And I sat there going, oh, my God, I get this much money in the World Series. I do with my salary. <laughs> and uh, so you, you're not – and then when we won, it took so much pressure off all those guys. In 76, we rolled. I mean, it was just – Well, 76, you embarrassed the Yankees. Yeah, well, you know you, – you Yeah, you swept them in 76. We swept them, you know. But <clears throat> but you look at that. I mean, they had – they had, Thing that was so good about the Yankees, those guys, and, and I've always appreciated and admired Thurman Munson, and here's why: after the World Series, I didn't play in the '76 World Series at all because we played. Danny Dreesen was our DH, and other than pitchers, we used no extra players. Sparky, let's win it in four and get out of here. So we go to spring training in '77, and we're playing the Yankees up in Tampa, and I get up to bat, and Thurman's catching. I've never met Thurman. I don't know. He goes, "Hey, Dougie, how you doing?" I went. Doing good, man. How you doing? He said, look, I want to go to the dog track tonight. He said, you got a ride? He said, come pick me up. A bunch of us go to the dog track. And I went, okay. <laughs> and, I mean, here's a guy that's one of the – I mean, he had 460 in the World Series, I think, that mm-hmm. year. And he just <clears> – <throat> every day was fun. So I get back to the dugout, and I looked at Pete, and I said, hey, Pete, that catcher, Munson wants me to go to the dog track with him. He said, well, go with him. He'll buy you dinner. And I said, I don't know him. He says, we'll get to know him. He said, Thurman loves to take care of the young kids that are taking care of the game. Wow. And so he had evidently heard that I kept my mouth shut then. Boy, I changed. (laughs) But I kept my mouth shut then. And so I came over, picked him up. We went to the dog track there in Tampa and had a nice dinner, took him back to the hotel. And we go to the room, and there was uh, all the guys were in there. I mean, Roy White and a bunch of guys were all in there having fun. So I I said hello. And I I remained friends with Roy for quite a few years, too. Uh, So it was, you know, taking care of the game. The game was special then. And – and it's a lot more now, I think, because we're all getting older. You don't see it being repeated as much. You don't see the camaraderie. Shoot, when we go out to dinner, it'd be Billingham and Daryl Chaney and me and Mike Lum. And, you know, we go out in groups of five or six every night. One of the reasons is that none of us had a whole lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just what you did. It, it, it's funny you say that because <clears throat> when I watch a game now with Julia, I always feel old because not to get into politics or anything, but I watch Sports Center and I'm like, they'll show. Oh, so and so with three home runs. Look at the play he made. But the Orioles lost nine three. You don't know the score of the game. Yeah. They'll show seven great dunks. 
by a Clippers guy. We'll say Blake Griffin. And then you look at the score. They lost by 33. So the individualizing stuff, which bothers me, and I feel old. Like, we go to bed at night, and I don't watch TV. And she'll tell you, I listen to old baseball games on the radio. <laughs> I'm like this loser like that. So when you say, like, the camaraderie of the game, and you're dropping names, but yet you appreciated it, and you, yeah. uh, you enjoyed the ride. Like, when I... um. Like for work, they always say you have a front row seat to the greatest show on earth. Mm. That's what they always tell us. And you know, like when, and I'm like, okay, I was 21 when I started. I'm like, whatever. But it's true, and I don't appreciate it. But now I do. I'm like, oh, yeah. holy crap, that just happened. Move away. I'm going to the front, and I'm looking at whatever just happened. So as long as you're appreciating, because you're dropping names of like the legends and the ghosts of the game, like it, it's it, so cool. Like well, just, I want just people hear to it. know that they were good people too, because there's been so much written about a lot of those guys, and most of it is stat-driven uh, because you didn't have your 30-for-30 30 30 shows. You didn't have – let's see, ESPN started in, what, 79, 78, 79, around in there. You didn't have dun da dun 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 You didn't. You had game of the week. You didn't have <coughs> games every single night. And now when I hear them say that so-and-so's the greatest to ever, you want to say, you know, <laughs> you, you might want to go look at some – but there's not that much tape to go back and find. <clears throat> the great players there are, but you know, I mean, I try to get just some video from the Mets of stuff we did back then, and it's hard to get stuff because they're too busy wrapped up in the '69 team and the '86 team, mm-hmm. the Reds, '75, '76 team a little bit, but they the '90 team came along, so they're taking they really like with the nasty them. boys and Chris the, Sabo right. and stuff, <clears throat> yeah, and they so, sold more. That's yeah, but you know, it's it's hard to top what we did in '75 and '76. And, and, but there was some great talent there. I mean, Cesar Geronimo was the best center field I ever saw because he made everything look so routine. He only won four gold gloves because you had Gary Maddox and a few other guys, but they were great, but so was Cesar. Was there one player that you thought was going to be a special player, like an iconic player that didn't pan out for one reason or the other? Yeah, my roommate, Greg Sinatra. And you thought he was going to be Hartford, Connecticut. Okay. <laughs> I love it. Well, I mean, Greg was the number one draft choice, but it wasn't his fault. He got injured. And uh, he had knee surgeries and elbow surgeries and shoulder surgeries. 6'2", about 220. Third baseman, could, had a cannon, hit with power, could fly. Uh, went to a military academy up here somewhere. Uh, is there a Fork Union or – that might not be right. LaSalle maybe? I don't know. Anyway, he went okay. to a place and he was a stud. And so he signs, and I thought, boy, this guy's got all of it. Uh, but he just kept getting hurt, so he didn't do it. So there was, you know, you see a lot of guys come through the game that throw a mile, you know, ninety miles on iron, and you just say, wow, this guy can—he's got a great arm, but he's got about a ten cent head. So how cool is it broadcasting games? Because you broadcasted, what did you broadcast? Like twenty games yeah. last? Year? Did, did you do you love it? Because I think that's a I love cool... some of it. What? Okay, what don't you love about it? I love I... I love not being able to. Um, elaborate on some of the things that I don't necessarily agree with. And they don't want you to do that. Well, it's I don't want to – here's what I feel like. If I see something, for instance, the way a guy covers second base, if he doesn't straddle the bag and, say, takes the throw up in front of the bag and he reaches up to get the throw instead of letting the ball travel back to the base and a guy slides in on a bang-bang play, I'm thinking, man, all he had to do is let the ball fumble, you know, straddle. The, and you say that sometimes, and when I do, it, the players hear about it. It'll get right back to them. I mean, I said something about to Brandon Phillips one time, and mm-hmm. uh, it kind of went, you know, it didn't go good. He said, we're taking ground balls one day, and I go to spring training, so I was just taking throws at second. And 
Brandon when he took his routine, then he started going through his legs and behind his back, and, you know, out his rear end, and they just everywhere. Mm-hmm. So I looked, and he says, "You guys couldn't do this when you played, could you?" And I went, "Yeah." Well, how come you didn't? I went, "Well, let me tell you something. If I was your shortstop, you wouldn't be doing it either." So what you talking about? I said, "Cause every time your shortstop comes to the bag, he is dead stopped because he's trying to figure out which way the ball's coming from." And he wants to know it's coming from the same and spot he wants every to know time. Same spot every time. <clears throat> I said, and you want that shortstop to be busting across the bag too, but he can't bust across the bag because he doesn't know where you're going to give him the ball from. I said, you'd be giving it to me where I could see it every time. No, man, I guess we'd have had trouble playing together. I guess we would. What? <clears throat> I that, love- you know, whereas when you play with a guy like Tim Foley or Davey, uh, Joe Morgan, the same way. You know, you talk. Are we talking, Doug? Where do you see the ball best? Timmy, where do you want your throws? What do you, you know, and you talk, and it's not about what looks the best, it's about what works the best. And I think that's one of the biggest differences in some of the players today. When Alex Rodriguez came to New York, it was headlines, you wouldn't believe it. It was the city changed, the best trade since Ruth. And they, uh, it was like a throwaway line in the New York Post. Joel Sherman wrote it, I'll never forget it. And he said the first thing he did was ask, I think it was Cano. When I throw the ball, because I'm coming from a different angle now, where do you want it? Wow. And they said it was like the, the bottom line. I just skimmed over it, and Mike Frances- Mike and the Mad Dog were like, listen, that is showing that That's he big. knows baseball. That's right. He pulled Cano, hey, listen, because from shortstop, I'm at a different angle. Which way do you want the ball to come? And he said it, and Cano said every time, that ball hit the same spot okay. every single time. Cano didn't care. He, he no. didn't turn it, man. He was smooth. <clears throat> oh, Cano was great. He was smooth. Cano was loved here, too, but... Uh-huh. You know, he, he played it a little cocky. I love Cano. Some of the players here you love. He was he, he was the first player to leave for money for the from the Yankees. So it was always a weird thing. That was the one first play we didn't pay to stay. It was weird. Yeah, well, it's, it's going to be interesting to see with the free agencies this year who's going after – who's going to get Stanton. You're saying the Giants or the Cardinals are going to get him? I know the Cardinals want him very badly. Mm-hmm. Well, who wouldn't want him? But I, he's a monster. He's isn't a he? monster, and and from all indications, he's a pretty good kid too. So why would you not want somebody like that? I, I'm so glad that we got to talk baseball. Now I'm gonna ask you a few random questions. Any memorabilia that you kept during the games, like the times you played, anything you kept? Yes. What'd you keep? I have all my jerseys, or I have a bunch of game worn jerseys okay. that I framed up. Um, I didn't collect it. I really didn't keep much. Did you, I didn't keep much, did I? When I played, I, I started getting stuff after I got out of the game. So I have some mm-hmm. autographed balls, some of my uniforms. Um, that's about it. I still like to collect autographed baseballs. Oh, really? But we don't do old-timers games anymore. Did you ever go to Foley's right next door to here? Uh-uh. When we leave here, you're going to walk to Foley's. It's a baseball bar, and the whole wall is just all autographs and stuff. Oh, really? It's pretty cool. Yeah. Okay. So i got a couple of things to collect. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I used to love to collect Hall of Famer baseballs. And now I've just kind of – I'll click – if I played against you, I want your baseball. That's cool. That's really cool. Yeah. So I've got a pretty good collection of those. But, no, my mom collected everything. She had every write-up from every game. Okay, listen. Last Easter or Christmas, Julie and I – my mom lives down the Jersey Shore, and we're down there. I'm in the garage looking at stuff, and there was a book. Every time my name was in a box score, yeah. and, and no matter what – I can't even say I was good. I'm sitting here with Doug Flynn. But every time he's like, oh, Mike, Mike Safosnick went to – Every time I was in, she cut it out, and then she would highlight my name no matter what it was. <laughs> so if I played, like I played high school four years, so I was in the box score every day. She saved every, every time the last name was in there, she That's saved my mom. it. And Brad's run for office, so we got all kinds. He ran for sheriff, so we got all kinds of stuff that she saved, <laughs> posters, pictures, <laughs> everything. So. Did, were you ever in awe of a player? Like you walked in like, one. Ho, ho. Mickey Mantle. 
you saw Mickey Mouse and you were like, holy crap. By Mickey being a, a collector. Okay. And you know, once you play, there is a certain fraternity that we have as ball players. So that I'm aware that in, I'm, I'm, I'm part of this fraternity. <laughs> Cameron's wearing off on him. No. <laughs> so what what do you what do you do? I mean, you put it on, and even if, if you weren't a great player, once somebody knows that you played ten or twelve years, they say, hey, yeah. So I collect balls. So we're doing an old timers game in Louisville, Kentucky. Mickey Mantle is the manager of the American League. Johnny Bench is the manager of the National League. I hadn't been out of the game very long. I was playing some pro softball at the time, and so I get a call. It said, Davey Johnson's not going to be able to come. They need somebody to play second base. Will you come? Yeah. So I go up to the game, and Bobby Richardson, dear friend, I love Bobby. And so I'm talking to him before, and I said, Bobby, uh, do you think Mickey mind signing a ball for me? He said, he's had a rough couple of days. He said, uh, but he said, you're kind of on your own. But he said, I don't think he'll mind. So we take this group picture of both the American National together. We're walking off the field, and I go over to – and I said, excuse me, Mickey. I said, I'm Doug Flynn. He said, hey, Doug. couldn't have been nicer. I said, I have a ball in my glove. Would you mind signing that for me? He said, let's get off the field, and I'd be glad to. So we get off the field, and I hand him the ball, hand him a pair. Now, are you following him right now at this point? I'm walking you, right beside him. Yeah, you're not letting him go. You're not no, letting him leave. No, no, no. I okay. got him. I'm, so <clears throat> we get to the dugout. We walk down in. I hand him the baseball. He's got a pen in his hand, and he's sitting there, and he's shaking pretty good. Ah. He takes a deep breath. He looks over at me. He says, I know I seem a little nervous, Doug, but I've been wanting to meet you for a long time. Stop it. That's Mickey Mantle. And that's, a, that's just Mickey Mantle being a gracious, gracious oh. man. And he signed the ball for me. And that's the only time I've ever been nervous around, you know, somebody like that. That's intense. It's very intense. And I'll never forget it. I mean, that was just. And what was it about Mickey Mantle? Because he is, from my father to sports radio to anything you listen to, he was on a level now when they say, oh, Derek Jeter's here. Mantle eclipsed all of them. Was it more that he was like a normal guy? What was it about him? Because he had flaws? Is that why people – Yeah, he was, he was the man's man. Mm-hmm. I mean, here was the Mick. He wasn't braggadocious. He was, he was humble in being great, but yet he's the kind of guy you'd want to go out and have a beer with or, or a few. You know, he was just – A couple. Yeah, everybody just <clears> – <throat> you never heard anybody say anything. Oh, man, oh, what a prick. You never Even heard. if he was, they would never say – You never said it. You know, I mean, like, we named a dog after Yogi Berra because my wife loved Yogi Berra so much, so we named a dog after him. I mean, they, he was the same way. Yogi was awesome. Those guys were just – and what they went through and that, they set the tone for what the game should be like. And when you don't respect those guys – and I remember Whitey Ford, we were at a thing one night, and uh, my wife looked at and says, there's Whitey Ford. And I went, I know. She said, you got his autograph? I said, no. I said, he's – talking to somebody right now and she says you gotta get it <laughs> and I said well you go get it and she did she went over and she came back and she says I got two one for me and one for you really I went and I said so we got Whitey's but that's yeah Sandy Koufax I never met him until I was at Bob Gibson's golf tournament and met him what a classy guy you know there's there's guys like that that <clears throat> are not they're getting a lot of good publicity because they were the greatest mm-hmm. to ever do it but not near of what some of these kids are getting today, and some of them need to humble themselves just a little bit more, I think. Like I always love when I watch – like you watch a World Series game. It's like, oh, he has the most home runs. It's because we play more games now in yeah. the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And then you look at stats. I always show Julia. Julia's a sports fan, but I'm trying to show her, like, look at the stats these guys had back when yeah. – and you look at them, and it wasn't normal. And the way they were so revered and so loved and mm-hmm. so – I've never seen – like the way my dad speaks about Mickey Mantle – 
it, it's better than his. He speaks about his own family, like <laughs> Mickey Mantle, the Mick. And they always tell stories like they were in center field for eleven games, and finally Mick turned around and did the tip of that. He remembers like, oh, they were playing the Tigers that day. Mickey Mantle, like those small moments are just so appreciated by these Hall of Famers and legends and icons of the game. And it does bother me when they don't appreciate the game now because I love it. I and I always want to say, but my voice means nothing. Your voice means. Hey, when you're gone in six years, your name's gone. These legend, the game's still going to go. You're not Willie, bigger than the game. Willie Mays told me that. You know, when I got here to the <clears> Mets, <throat> they brought him in to teach Lee Mazzilli to play center field. Now, who played it better? Nobody. So I remember him being out in the outfield one day, <clears throat> excuse me, and he said, okay. And he had a real high voice. He said, all right. <laughs> he said, come here. He said, now, the first thing you're going to do is. No, now after you've already checked out the win. <laughs> no, the second. Oh hell, hit me when I show you. <laughs> and, and, and that he did it such so instinctively that now to try to tell somebody else, you Willie Mays couldn't tell anybody how to play like him. He did. I mean, he knew when a breaking ball was going to hit the dirt, he was going to hit it the second when he's on base. He was that good instinctively. And I forget. So one day I sit and went and said, Willie, you got to be just, I mean, busy all the time. He said, No, man. I said, what do you mean? You're Willie Mays. He said, but I'm Willie Mays, the former baseball player. Oh. And he said, when you get out of the game, he said, it'll change. They find new people to hook on to, which is true. Oh, God, that don't tell me that. That hurts. Yeah, I know. But it won't for some of us old-timers because we, that's the way we were brought up. We were brought up with the respect. We were brought up to appreciate. And you had to earn it the hard way. I mean, when Brad and I were growing up, I mean, we'd – our dad worked his rear end off just to provide us with a set of clothes to go to school and a set of clothes to play in. Were we poor? No, we weren't poor, but we everything we had was worked hard for. So when you see kids today that they're handing out stuff to them and, you know, your graduation is a, a car. Lexus. You're going, my sophomore year of college, I'm driving a – in 1970, I'm driving a 61 Corvair. You know, but it's mine, $200 in mm-hmm. mine. I paid for it, worked for it. I just think we've lost a lot of that. I hope that uh, – and it's that's why now when you see a Todd Frazier or a Jose Altuve or some of these kids playing the game to Mike Trout who love the game, who respect the game, that's all. I had two players that ever said thanks for going on strike so that we could make a kind of money. Chris Sabo, Kirby Puckett. Really? Uh, that's all. They came up. I love Chris Sabo. You know, Chris Sabo, number 17. Didn't you win number 17? Yeah. I, I, I have no life, Doug, so I'm going to tell you <laughs> stupid random stats. You have no life. I already know that. I don't. Doug, let me ask you a question because I, I hope I'm not – first of all, I made notes, by the way. I see that. Like a, wow. I, two notes. I'm going to ask you a question. I hope you're having a good time because this is – for uh, me, this is the coolest shit ever. Time, Brad? Yes. Well, Brad okay. fell asleep. We're, we're right. I'm gonna, I want to name a few players and let me know because my – I want to name like four things. Let me know who was better. For me, the best center fielder I've ever seen was Ken Griffey Jr. Mm-hmm. Who was the best you've ever – it might be you agree or who was the best you've ever seen. I'm curious. I was like, well, I, I, that's what I love about baseball. Like you, athletically, yeah. you could probably say Ken Griffey. Okay. But as far as just making the game look easy was Cesar Geronimo. Gary Maddox was very good with the Phillies. Both of those. I mean, was that saying they had about him said uh, three quarters of the earth is covered? Yeah, they have his. The other bit is him. So he, he Gary Maddox was tremendous, but so was Geronimo. So Griffey athletically. Okay, best right field arm for me was like Vladimir Guerrero had like a cannon. Roberto Clemente, uh, Rocky Calavito. Okay, oh yeah, okay, okay. Ollie Brown. How about best right-handed pitcher? 
Uh, See, I'm, I'm going to say the best I've ever seen, and I'm going to do a small dominating thing, was Pedro in the late 90s because he was just. I heard he was. Yeah, see, I didn't. But the best. Well, I thought Maddox. the best pitcher was, was Seaver. Okay. How about best left-handed? For me, it's for me. it has to be Kershaw. I'm the biggest Kershaw guy. Well, see, I, I could. You, he, he looks awfully good. But I from everything I've heard and just saw briefly was Koufax. Okay. And how about relief pitcher? It has to be Mariano, right? Uh, you know, once again, I, their numbers speak for itself. So he probably would have been. But Especially I, the postseason numbers I mean, were just stupid. Lolly Fingers and Goose Gossage, and, you know, they were pretty good. Okay. I want one good Dick Gabriel story because I think Dick Gabriel is – so I met Dick Gabriel a few times. Well, now I, met, now I talk right, to him every day. Let me tell you story, the great story about Because I love Dick Gabriel. I think he's the greatest person ever. I, I speak Gabe so – He He's I like great. Gabe and I have done so many games together – we have such respect for each other. We're on the opposite ends of the political spectrum. Oh, I, I never knew that either, by the way, without getting into politics. I didn't know he was on one side. Yeah, yeah I'm like, we are, wait, Dick, really? You know, that's, that's where Dick is such a pro. That is never he, – he never lets that come into anything. He's just a consummate pro. He's one of the most prepared people that I've ever seen when he comes to work. Mm-hmm. And he's got a very – he's very gifted when it comes to using the English language. I am not. <laughs> <laughs> but he is, a, and we have a lot of fun with that. Uh, with how I got two stories about Gabe. We're doing a game one night, and it's live baseball game. And a question came in. We had, were taking some questions, one, and one of them was, do you think soccer is hurting baseball in that a lot of good kids that could be playing baseball have gone into soccer? And Dick asked me what I thought. I said, Dick, I don't want to answer that. Don't ask it. Don't ask me that question. I'm not going to answer that. I said, because I didn't play soccer, didn't know soccer when I was growing up. We didn't have soccer. So I don't know how to, if that's yes or no, and I couldn't give you a good answer. I said, don't ask me that on the air. Okay. Welcome back to the University of Kentucky. Doug, let me ask you a question. No. <laughs> I said, <laughs> you I said, well, Dick, I said, well, Dick, since you ask, I said, I think soccer is just the beginning stages of communism. His face, he got, he looked. So we go ahead and he went, no, really. I said, that's what I think. <clears throat> so we go ahead and we do. We go, now I got people in my ear going, you can't say that. So we go to a commercial break and he looks over at me and he goes, what are you doing? I went, you asked, what did I tell you? Don't ask me about soccer. You asked me? Now, were you going to ask me another one about it? So we come back and he says, what? He says, uh, we were getting a lot of phone calls about your comment. He said, uh, we've got some people here said they've turned off the game and they'll never listen to us again. Uh, what do you think about that? And I went, well, they're obviously communists. No. <laughs> <laughs> He's never asked me again. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Lesh, I, I, I was so envious when Dick would uh, tweet a picture of you and him in the broadcast booth yeah. with the games. Well, cause, yeah, that, that we, was... ha- we have a ball. We've known each other for so long. We don't have to ask. We know where each other's going uh-huh. with the game. Uh, and, and we just have a good time with it. And that's, you know, what it's all about. And when we got to do a minor league game of the week with Lauren Gardner, mm-hmm. who is now out in Denver doing a lot of great TV work with Altitude and, and some other stuff, it was just fun. You know, it's a labor of love for him. He loves the game. Oh, I know. I, mean, I know. It. We had another one night. We decided after the game we are going to go get a bite to eat somewhere. And we walk into this place, and there's nobody there. And so we have a little bite to eat and sit and relax. Go back the next night. We do a ball game, and we said, "Let's go back to that same place." There wasn't anybody there. We get back, and it is packed, and it is all young, good-looking men and women. And we're sitting up at the bar, and Dick says, 
you know what the greatest thing about tonight is? is what he says, we are invisible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you a cool Dick Gabriel story. So I go down there a few times, and I met him. And every time we met him, I met him for half an hour here. And now we're like, he's coming up here. I'm spending, I took off three days from work just to show him and his son, his wife, and everybody around. Yeah, you know his son, don't you? Jack, Jackson yeah. State. Yeah. Great guy. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, we're down there, and I never went to a, ho- a hoedown. A so, hoedown. Yeah, so uh, uh, a honky-tonk. A honky-tonk. Yeah, so I'm down. We ain't been in many hoedowns. Or yeah, yeah, no, no, a honky-tonk. So I'm, <laughs> Don't say it. I know what you're thinking. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm down in Lex. This is like uh, last year during basketball season. Wait, wait you, what would you call this? Just a bar? You would call this a honky-tonk? No, no, this is just a bar. <laughs> okay. Right. So I'm, they're like, oh, we're going to go honky-tonk. Um, I wish I – what's the famous one in Lexington? Austin everyone? City. Yeah, oh, I have a shirt, <laughs> Austin City Saloon. That's it. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to go. I said, okay. So I go there with this dude, and I'm – he takes us there, so I'm like, Dick, Cameron, you guys going to come? Cameron's like, no, Mike, I can't, you know. I'm, and this is a true story. He's like, I'm Cameron. I can't go there. You know, I, I don't want them to see me at this kind of place. I said, oh, okay, you know, I'll see you guys tomorrow. I'm there. I'm like, oh, it's cool. It's, it's, it's different. Who walks in? Dick Gabriel. Ah, but yeah. this is, everyone's like, oh, shit, Dick Gabriel's here. So I'm like, he's like, a, everyone walks in. They hand him a can of beer. <laughs> <laughs> so just hanging out like he's yeah. he's just and he'll go there and then we he took me to some well, he's uh, been doing it for 70 <laughs> years he's the greatest and I remember when I went down there I'm like he looks really familiar and like oh he's a dude with a beard I'm like Dick Gabriel right. with the beard yeah. alright so a few more minutes with you true or false did Pete Rose really hook you up with your wife because that was on, it's on Wikipedia and some other mm-hmm. site Pete's wife okay so Pete takes credit for it because okay. it's lasted 35 years uh, blind date going into Philly to play. Pete's playing first. Uh, we were going to go to dinner after the ball game. I'm with the Mets. Okay. Uh, hey Pete, let's go out to dinner. Yeah, all right. No, he he called me. Let's go to dinner after the game. All right. And I say, won't you tell Carol, his wife, to bring this is his girlfriend in, bring somebody so she can talk to. Okay. So we get on first that night, and he said, uh, "Did you see him come into the game?" I went, "No." He could tell you everything went on on the field and off the field. I said, "No, I didn't." He said. Uh, so meanwhile, the pitcher's throwing the home plate. Well, he said, I got good news and bad news. All right, what's the bad news? <laughs> Take my lead. Yeah, well, the girl coming tonight's engaged. Pete, I can get my own dates. I ain't worried about that. I said, I just saw Carol won somebody. I said, Pete, I got to hit and run. What's the good news? <laughs> <clears throat> so they get pitcher gets ready to throw as I'm taking off the second. He said, she looks good. <laughs> Is that true? <clears throat> true. We went out to dinner that night, and I knew I was in trouble. I just signed a five-year deal with the Mets. This was 81, strike year. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, this, you know, I was happy. I wanted to finish out here. I wanted to be a part of something special as they started rebuilding. And I loved it. But when Mr. Cashin came in, he started making some changes, mm-hmm. got rid of me and uh, Mazzilli and Joe. And got rid of all of us, same time. Uh, when, when did you sign the contract with the Mets? <clears throat> After the 80 season. And you would think if you rolled out the contract 85, boom, 86 is when. Well, they really didn't have anybody to replace me, but I think Mr. Cashin, because we had won in negotiations, I don't Mm -hmm. think he was a big fan, and and uh, they got rid of. He just wanted to start over. Okay, I'd love to have been here with that group, but when they brought in, you know, Wally was a young kid. Mm -hmm. Brian Giles ended up playing a little bit there, Uh, but they had Wally in the background. Then when Wally came, and uh, he he was perfect for the ball club. Yeah, I, that I, gritty kind he, of guy. Oh, yeah, he was. He's you know he brought a lot of fire. He still brings fire to fantasy camp. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but I'm a Wally Backman fan. So I, I'm if I had to be replaced by somebody, that was a guy that I'm quite happy to be replaced by. Okay, so I asked this to every person who's ever came on my show. 
Just say the bar's packed. We're here for a Kentucky-Louisville game. It's packed. Doug Flynn wants to impress everyone here at the bar. Who's the coolest person, if you took out your phone right now, that if you texted them, they would write back to you? Because everyone has numbers. I have people on my phone that will never text me back, but I have their number and they're cool. All of my friends text me back. All right, so give me the coolest person in your phone. Who if you, would you want. say? Let me ask my brother. Okay. Who's the coolest person? Who's the coolest person that you know that I know that if I texted that would impress people like holy that would shit? Get back to he me. knows who. Well, and people from up here may not feel the same way about the people that are my friends. It's it's fair, but who, who is it? Let me hear what you All think. Right. And I'll be honest because I'm I'm like no that guy sucks or that's awesome. I would know. It's, it's there's so many different people that give me that one that would, impresses you. Like oh my god, my brother knows. Uh, not really, because I've never been re- really impressed. Because I grew up mm-hmm. in the dugout, so you know, and so you became like desensitized, right? Yeah. So yeah. I mean, I mean, I grew up with Johnny Bench and Pete Rose and all those guys because I was a see, young guy. You know what sucks? Those are two. Those are huge. Those are see, to say iconic. Wouldn't you be so? If you texted Johnny Bench right now, he'd write back to you. If I called him right now, he'd probably answer. See, that's so cruel. Can we call him? <laughs> You're gonna get him on my show. That's what. Gonna, so if you, so Johnny Bench is probably your answer because that's a great answer. No, it'd be it'd be a good one, but I think any of them. Who else, who are some of the people outside of baseball? Maybe. Okay, give me. I don't know because he doesn't talk. He doesn't I, brag I, about I, it. I go to his house one day. I don't go to his house very often, and I go in. He's not invited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a gold, there's a gold medal on his wall, and I go, "When'd you get an Olympic gold medal?" I didn't even know he had a gold medal. <laughs> Yeah, so, so I mean that's you know. So Wait, I but how'd you get the gold medal? Um, See, in so 19, he's the reason. In nineteen eighty eight, they had a uh, Olympic in Seoul. Was eighty eight Seoul? Uh, well, eighty eight when they had a summer Olympic festival. Okay, and they brought. Uh, they were looking for slow pitch softball to be an Olympic sport, so they put together four teams of the fifty two top softball players in the country. So they had north, south, east, and west, and I was on uh, a team. We had a bunch of guys off of my regular season team, and then we added a few guys, and we went out and we won the gold medal. As it was an exhibition sport, but some of our guys misbehaved so bad that they're not going to do it. I mean, we had you're looking at guys that are you know six six, six seven, weigh three hundred pounds, they hit a softball a thousand feet. But we used a deadened softball, which brought defense in. It played out in Oklahoma City, and, and we won the. He's since you got a Hulkamania shirt on, of course. <laughs> he comes to Christmas one year at mom and dad's. He brings Randy Macho Man Savage, with who's him. a Louisville guy. I heard. Yeah, yes. well, they played no, minor no. league ball together with the Reds. Yeah, but he's from he lives from Florida, Sarasota, so, Florida, right? You never know about him. Who he's, you know, See, he the, shows up. Now, obviously, it's not bragging. I'm, this is my one name drop, and it's not. I'm very lucky that I do this little podcast, and I get these like insane guests on. My phone rings at night, and I look. I'm like, oh, and like Jerry Cooney, the boxer. Oh yeah, he calls. I'm gonna say twice a week. He called me up last week. I'm like, no, I still get like it's it's, it's Jerry Cooney, but I'm desensitized because I've had so many athletes, celebrities, autism. Hey, what's up, Jerry? Ah, I'm bored driving up. So he calls me when he's bored just to bullshit. And so, but he's one of the names I dropped as coolest person. Yeah. But Johnny Bench, good. Pete Rose is great. Well, see, I cheat, though, because I do a golf tournament. And no, that's not cheating, though. No. Johnny Bench and I host a golf tournament with Matthew Mitchell, the women's basketball coach up at UK. Okay. And this will be our 38th year coming up. So when we started, when I got involved with the tournament, they had, I think, 16 teams. Now we have 50. So by playing ball and going to other tournaments, I can meet these people, and I start inviting celebrities to come. So 
And then also Johnny has introduced me to most of the celebrities we know, like in the music business, the Gatlin brothers, the Oak Ridge boys. Oh, you can name anybody. Like I have no idea who they are. Yeah. Would oh, you get the? Um, do we have to end the? Okay. Okay. And so, uh, uh, but like you know, at my tournament two year, the year before last, we had Jeff Foxworthy come, who's a good friend, and you know. It's it's all all those guys want to be ball players and all of us want to be something it, else. It, it's funny you said that because I have a lot of athletes that come on and they all want to be in the music business. Yeah. That's, oh, I wish I was a musician. And all the the other musicians are like, I wish I was an athlete. It's it's funny, you know. You always <laughs> want to be on the other side. Oh yeah, I, yeah. But so we do that tournament. We bring in entertainers to perform. Uh, the we have a really neat show. We raise a lot of money for charity. We raise close to fourteen million dollars now. So we're are you serious? Yeah. Dead serious. That's incredible. <laughs> it is. That's pretty good. And it's all for children's charity, so it's pretty good. All right, so we're finishing <laughs> up. Because I, I, I didn't do one note. I want to see if there's anything I want to hit on. Let's see. All right. Favorite, here we go. I'll, I'll do, favorite New York moment. Where did you live? Favorite New York hangout. New York media. Here we go. You, you played for, what did you say? <laughs> you played for Joby, yeah. Joby Hall. Rose Griffey. Spar- oh, Sparky Anderson. I wrote about. You want to... Where are your World Series rings? Where are they? Uh, there's one right there. I, I saw. We're gonna take a picture with that. And my, which, dad, my dad has the other. Where's your gold glove? It's in my house. It's cool. Right between the two World Series trophies. Oh, no, you know what? I've already got my cell phone. Yeah, I'm not. I, mean, I, don't, I don't have your cell phone. We still. <clears throat> oh, you don't. On Twitter, it's weird. We. Oh. It's weird. I see. I wrote. Brad, don't let me give it to him. <laughs> memorabilia: Dick Gabriel, Wikipedia, Pete Rose. Yeah, Wikipedia Rose. did for years. Had me born in Albany, New York. Okay. We finally got it changed. Okay, you know what? Here's the last one. Seeing yourself on a baseball card for the first time. Awesome. Like a real card because we all had awesome. little cheap cards. It's remember- so cool. It is so cool. How cool. Like to be on a baseball really card. It really was. It, it's so, my wife had them framed for me one year. I think there's about 30-something different ones. But it was really a neat little deal. To have. Oh, it, it's cool. I, I won't lie. Of course, you know, I take so many jokes. I mean, I was not a very good hitter. And I got people say, hey, I got your card the other day. It cost me three cents. <laughs> And I said, "Wow!" And and you know, your first response is to say, "Oh, what, what, how much was yours?" See, that, that's what I would, I would. You know, I've learned <clears> to do that. Or if somebody, like I went to a banquet one night and they went, "Denny Doyle, Johnny Lamaster, Doug Flynn, three good infielders that couldn't hit a lick," and you just want to say, "Refresh me. When was your best year yeah, in the big I, leagues?" But you know, it's and there's people to bring it up. I had a guy the other day getting on me about something on social media, and the New York it'll come up all the time about. You couldn't do this and you couldn't do it. Like one New York writer once compared my offensive stats to A-Rod's. I said, you know, that's fair. Now compare my defensive stats with A-Rod's. That's all. Just make it fair. Two parts of the game. There's offensive defense. But as long as you have people in the media think they can make a buck and they can get on somebody's. So now I'm not near as sensitive as I used yeah, to and be. You know, that's what actually bothers me about media now. It's like you want to do stuff now for clicks and for hits and for so- and that's what actually sucks. It, it seems like there's um, I don't know if you you know George Vesey? Sure. Okay, George Vesey came on here. Good oh, man. Oh, he was the greatest. Good man. He came here. Were you yeah. here for George Vesey, Julia? He was. He's a good man. He would do the show and then we just talked old baseball. Yeah. He actually goes to Foley's with like um, six other old baseball guys, writers, and they just talk and I didn't say a word for an hour and he just told me stories and he would tell wow. me he's like, I would sit in a bar in New York City and next to me would be Duke's. They would just sit at the bar and you would talk. And then when you saw them leave with a girl, that's it. There's, there's no writing about it. And he goes, I knew I would never write a controversial piece because I didn't want that. My integrity was saying, hey, I'm a baseball writer. But he sat here. We do the show because he, he actually lived in Louisville for a while. 
and uh, the show ends. That's right. I knew that. Yeah, yeah. And, and the show ends. I'm like, oh, that was great. I'm like, oh, I guess he's leaving. And he sat here for an hour. It was two of us. We didn't say a word. We listened to him talk about old baseball. It was the well. That's the way the old days used to be. I say, I'm glad we didn't like have integrity cell is and all the that yeah. Stuff. It's just no pictures. You know, like no right now it's like don't. hold on, Doug Flintry. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you can go up and see. It sucks, some, doesn't it? And you can, I mean, whatever. You can blow it out of whack if mm-hmm. you want to. I, I'm glad that we didn't have that because there was enough mess going on. Mm-hmm. I can only imagine what the players of today are doing. I mean, you got to be, I guess, so careful. But it's that's knowing your writers and and the older good writers that you could respect. They would take care of that. They wouldn't mess with that stuff, because one thing is they wanted you buying them dinner. And the other thing is that they had, you know, they didn't want to start and, stuff that was off the field. And, Doug, here's, here's the thing. In the morning when I get the newspaper still or if I'm going online, I'm not reading the 12 controversial comment. I want to read the story. So I'm like, oh, this is an older writer, Joe Smith. I know he writes real stuff. Click. It's a real story. I don't care what so-and-so said about this political thing or so-and-so gave the f- – I, I don't care. Warner Wolf kind of changed all the broadcasting. <clears throat> you remember Warner Wolf? Of course, Wolf? of course. Because I remember him coming on nights we were here. He'd say, the Mets were horrible. Let's go to the video. Yeah. And you go, Let's go to the videotape. Yeah, and you go, oh, my gosh. And then you write on, we know we're horrible, but, Warner, you're two foot three. I mean, yeah. you, <laughs> you, you can't play the game. So, you know, and, and it's – have a little – have a little dignity about it. Yeah, we're we're struggling. We're not that good, but you know, I, we had a writer up here. I won't mention his name, and he would rip the snot out of us every day. Any kind of talk like this, and you boys are just not very good. All right. So one day we're at spring training, and Craig Swan, who led the league in ERA one year with us, he threw hard. Craig was out throwing, uh, and I'm hitting some, and he hear a. Uh, you know, Doug, are you going to hit better this year? And Craig Swan, who's pitching, says, I got an idea. Henry, won't you get in there and take a few swings? And Henry gets in, and he puts a helmet on, and the first pitch went right behind his head. And Henry went, what are you doing? He said, Henry, every time those guys get up to the plate, that could happen. <laughs> That's just part of the game. And he all, I, he may have messed his pants. I don't know. But, he may, <laughs> but and you're hoping – but that – he never came around the park as much anymore, but he still wrote bad. But I'm telling you, we were all – that's, you know, come in here and get a little feel for it. So, I Well, I'll be honest. Listen, I'm going to finish up. Dude, that was awesome. I had a great – I hope you had fun tonight. I had a ball. My Thank friend you. Doug Flynn. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Mike.